Well done. Happy, happy, happy Christmas. If there is one thing that we need more than anything else this year is for a happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to everyone here. Happy Christmas to those who are watching online and happy Christmas to those who are perhaps watching online a little bit later on. You know, a couple of weeks ago when I said to the staff, a number of the people present in the drama sketch with staff, I said, you are going to be involved in the Christmas play. And there was this collective groaned. <laughs> and then they, they read the drama sketch and they thought to themselves, hey, I reckon we could give that a real red hot crack. And didn't they? They did really well. Special thanks to the, uh, Trish, who made our star costume. The star was shining very brightly. And then, of course, there was our uh, Christmas star competition three weeks ago, because the theme that we've had for this month is Christmas light. I said, why don't you go ahead and people put out a star in front of your house and so that your neighbours and your friends, they can ask, what is that star all about? And you can say, well, the star represents for me the light of the world. This is Christmas light. And for me, Christmas represents hope. And then I mentioned the dangerous phrase, I wonder who might make the biggest star. (laughs) Well, it started off with Bob and his 3.4 meter star. And then someone upped it by a whole 2.2 meters. And this is the star they made out the front of their house. You can see this star from the moon. Well done, Andrew Berryman. It actually came replete with a complete engineered design as well. And so that is a 5.6 meter star. Andrew, you are the winner this year. Well done. But what's your back? Because next year we are coming for you. (laughs) It's very good. I was talking to someone this week and they said to me that they were listening to a talk show host. In light of uh, the tragedy that happened in Tasmania, ask a question. The, The talk show host said on the radio... We're all asking the question, why did God allow such a tragic circumstance to take place? He happened to be talking to a well-known psychologist at the time, and the psychologist replied with these words. He said, Christians would say that God has a reason even though they may not understand. Well, if I had have been listening to the radio host, the well-known radio host at that moment when I was driving in the car, I would have immediately pulled over, grabbed my mobile phone and dialed up to get through. And if I had have got through, which I'm pretty sure that I may have if I mentioned sort of my profession, they would have let me through. The first thing I would have said to them in light of the discussion they were having is that we are never told why tragic circumstances happen. In fact, the Bible is filled with poets and singers and songwriters who ask that provoking question in the face of tragedy, God, where are you and why? In fact, the Bible never gives an answer like that at all, but the moreover, it actually makes God into this mysterious puppet person pulling the strings behind the scenes, creating tragedy in people's lives for reasons and circumstances they can only guess at. And finally, try giving that answer to someone who has just lost a loved one. You see, the Bible just doesn't give an answer to that provocative question of why would tragic circumstances happen? The second thing I would have said to them if they hadn't have cut me off by now is that the clearest picture of how God might respond in the face of those tragic circumstances is most provokingly seen in the image and picture we get 
of Jesus turning up to a good mate's funeral. His mate was by the name of Lazarus, and he died for two days, just enough time for rigor mortis and the smell to set into the tomb. And it says that Jesus arrives after the hour, and he arrives in the middle of a funeral procession. And in the midst of all that grief and heartache and anguish, Jesus walks into that scene. And Lazarus's two sisters, they run to him. And Mary turns to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had have been here, I am convinced that my brother would not have died. I, I know that you would have saved him. I know it. I know it. I know it. And in that moment... Feeling and experiencing all of the grief and the suffering, the darkness in their lives, it says quite clearly that Jesus pauses and he weeps. And the kicker for me is this that just a few minutes after that very act, which is the shortest sentence recorded in the Bible, Jesus puts his powerful display of grandeur. On show, when he parts the people, has the tombstone rolled back and calls forth his brother Lazarus from the graveside. And so here we have this situation where Jesus has complete power, but yet he pauses and he weeps and he grieves with loved ones and friends. I would have said if they hadn't have cut me off by now. (laughs) One of the greatest gifts that you can give to someone this Christmas is to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice and demonstrate that you are a lover of humanity. The third thing I would have said, can't be four, can't be two, has to be three, (laughs) just saying, is that Christians and Jesus followers have always seen darkness and evil and tragedy and sin and suffering and pain as being an unwelcome guest in God's good creation. And the message that they hold is that one day God will actually banish that unwelcome guest from his creation. And then it would have been in that very moment, I would have turned them to the power and the wonder of Christmas. Because God's answer to that tragic human suffering in the midst of pain and heartache and anguish is Christmas. Some people say that the greatest thing that Jesus ever did was die on a cross. Others say that it was when he rose from the dead. But I tell you this, one of the followers of Jesus by the name of John said that none of that wouldn't have happened if it first wasn't the fact that God came among us. The story goes on that as John, recording near the end of his life, the events and the circumstances that had taken place, that he had seen Jesus grow, that he had come to know him. He laughed and cried and weeped and saw him die and saw and witnessed his resurrection to new life. Near the end of his life, he takes pen to parchment and he goes ahead and he writes these words. He says, in the beginning was the word and he's speaking of Jesus. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was close to God, and the word was beside God, and the word was God. And then he presses on a little bit further. He says, where was God? Where was God? I'll tell you what. He says, there is all things came into existence through him, and not one thing that exists came into existence without him. You see, the message of Christmas and the message of God to all humanity is that this baby Jesus was not some remote person, 
But it was actually God in flesh coming to earth to deal with the pain and the suffering in the world. A follower of Jesus by the name of Philip one day said to him, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus turns to him and says, Philip, have you known me for so long? I tell you this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then John goes on and he writes these words. He says this, Life was in him and this life was the light of all the human race. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. I would have said to those people, if you want to know what life is like, come and discover what it's like in Jesus. Because John, having walked with him, talked with him, cried with him, laughed with him, knew this of him. He said, when I look at Jesus, the human being, I see that God is alive and his power is alive in and through him. And that there is no other person, no other power on this earth that can provokingly step into this world and transform the human heart like opening up your life to the person who has life and his name is Jesus. You might have every other human vaccine engineered by human beings, but no one can actually speak into the human heart quite like this man. And I've come to know him and see him and trust him and follow him. You want to know what human life is really like? Come to know Jesus. Open up your life to him. Your heart might be beating, but when he says you come to know Jesus, it's as though he breathes his fresh life, God's life and power into your life, and you will come alive. And then he presses on a little bit further, and he says these provoking and provocative words. He says this. Thanks, Nick. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we gazed upon his wonder and his amazingness. And we gazed upon his grandeur and his glory like that of the father's only son. And he was filled with kindness and mercy and goodness and grace and truth and justice and power and light. And it all began, it all began. It all began when God took on flesh. This is the wonder of Christmas. This is the power of Christmas. This is the hope of Christmas. Not that there's a distant God pulling the strings behind the scenes, creating human tragedy for reasons that you and I might never know. But this is the God who has come up close. This is the God who grieves and weeps and justly angers at humans' misery and evil, and darkness, and heartache, and evil, and enters it, and experiences it, and overcomes it on a cross, and demonstrates it by the rising from the dead, and in so doing defeats all other claims that sin, and death, and darkness, and despair, and tragedy has upon our lives. Jesus said these powerful words, in this world you will have troubles, yes, But take courage, for I have overcome the world. You see, the promise of Jesus is that one day his kingdom will come. One day his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And evil and in all its shades will be banished from God's good creation. And he invites you and I. To experience and know that life 
that only he can give. John said these words to all who received him. He, gave, he gives the right to become a child of God. Born not of human intuition, but born of God. When he breathes his fresh spirit and life into the hearts and minds and bodies of human beings made in the image of God. And then he finally says, John says these words. Nobody has ever seen God, but the only begotten God who is intimately close to the Father He has brought him to light and he has made him known. My friends, the good news and message and hope of Christmas is that God's not distant, but that God has come up close and he's entered it and he's suffered alongside us and he's defeated it and overcome it so that people like you and I might not just have a ticking heartbeat, but come alive to the maker and the creator of all things, that which is truly life. And I would have said all those things in a short 24-second soundbite <laughs> if they hadn't shut me off. Friends, this is the good news of Christmas, that there is a God who has taken on flesh, and it's all started in a little crib and a little baby, and that's the beginning of banishing evil, sin, darkness, and human tragedy, because there's a God now who has defeated those things, and He reigns. I wonder if you know that hope that only God can give. I wonder if you know that joy of life that, breathe, that Jesus can breathe in and on you. If there is one thing worth celebrating this Christmas time, it's a baby in a crib that became a man that lived and died and rose again, who's bringing his kingdom here to earth, and he bids you come. I tell you what, if there's one Christmas that we need to be happier more than any other ones, wouldn't you agree with me that it's this Christmas this year? Well, why don't you call it out? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. That's worth celebrating. Let's do that right now.